Welcome to Keeping It Real, a bluffer's guide to Sydney Film Festival. Hi, my name is Felix Hubble and I'm a programmer with SFF. Are you feeling lost? Navigating through the program can be quite tricky. Well, you're in luck because in this episode, film writer and festival programmer Richard Kuypers sits down with festival director Nishen Moodley for a guided tour of the official competition. They also take a short detour into the world of Iranian cinema. It's well worth a listen. Hi, I'm Richard Kuypers. I'm the programmer of the Freak Me Out section at the Sydney Film Festival, and I'm really happy today to be talking with Nishen Moodley, the director of the Sydney Film Festival. There's more than 250 films on the program, lots more shorts, so many films, and I really need Nishen to help me navigate my way through the festival program and find out uh, more about it. So, hi, Nishen. Hi, Richard. Lovely to speak to you. It's great to speak to you, and I can't wait for us to get going on November the 3rd. It's been, oh, a fair while in its <laughs> gestation, hasn't it, this festival? How are you feeling now as we get close to the festival that's actually happening? Look, it's 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 been extremely difficult, I, I have to say, because it feels in some ways that we've programmed this festival three times this year. And I, and I was on a panel with the director of the Rotterdam Film Festival a little while ago, Vanya, and she said, because they've also gone through these of course, delays and, and problems. And she said that she and her team have realized that there's a very good reason why festivals happen only once a year. And uh, I think our team has also come to that realization that there's a very good reason why it happens only once a year. So it's been very difficult and we've had to really be incredibly patient and resilient. And we've had to work very hard, I think, to keep the dream of presenting an in-cinema festival alive this year. But at this point, I feel really happy and relieved. Uh, a little nervous, of course, because we've become quite accustomed to things changing at the last minute, despite your plans. But yeah. we're very optimistic. We're very confident. And uh, the response to the program has been incredible. So uh, I think we're in a good place. I'm sure we are. And all being well, it's going to be a, uh, yeah, it's going to be one heck of an event in November. And I'm wondering, how much did the shape of the festival change? Um, did it actually create in some, in a strange way, some advantages in terms of films that you were able to secure because there had been other festivals such as Venice uh, and Toronto, other film festivals that had taken place in the meantime? Were there any windows and films that opened up in that time that actually allowed uh, you to bring more you know, recent films, if you like, into the festival that wouldn't have been playing at other times? Was there some advantage in the in the within these problems? Well, it turned out there were a lot of advantages in these problems. <laughs> and while we, we we loved very much the films that could no longer be part of the festival, we just in, in the last days of the selection confirmed films by Pedro Almodovar, Jane Campion, Wes Anderson, Paolo Sorrentino, uh, Jacques Odia, just a, a, such a, a fantastic list of films, Dune, King Richard, the Paul Schrader film, The Card Counter. So those last days, and, and I should say, we, we only finalized the program, I, I think about 10 days ago. So it, it went till the, the last minute, really, or maybe a little longer than 10 days ago. But it, it went really down to the wire. But what we got in the end was incredible incredible and we we wouldn't we wouldn't be able to do that in in any other time of the year i don't think 
I think you're right, and it's amazing to see those films. As you mentioned, Jane Campion's new film, The French Dispatch, which is going to be the closing night film. There's, I've got a list a mile long of the films that I desperately want to see, and the, you know, the French Dispatch is, is right at the top of that list. I just love Wes Anderson's films, and I just simply can't wait to see that, and I know so many people are in the same boat. But it's true of so many films in, in the festival. It's a really broad program, as always, Nishen. It's got so many different uh, strands and categories. What are some of the films in the competition that audiences can look forward to? I mean, it's very diverse. As you said, we've got films from Romania, we've got Austria, we've got Denmark, Italy, uh, Thailand. That's one of the films I wanted to talk to you about, the first film from a Pichapong Wirasetakul, who is one of the, the giants of, of art house cinema, a master of cinema. And he's made an, his first English language film starring the divine Tilda Swinton, who I think everyone knows, loves and adores. Uh, it's one of the films I'm especially excited to see. Well, it's one of the films that I very, very much wanted in, in the festival. It was rumoured to be part of Cannes last year, so I was tracking the film for a very long time. One of the producers, Simon Field, is a, is a friend of mine and uh, has been on the Sydney Film Festival uh, official competition jury a few years ago. So it's a film I've been tracking for quite some time. And as soon as I knew it was going to be in Cannes this year, I, of course, started chasing the film to see it. And it's really a magnificent film. Like you, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Apichat Pong's work. And I think he's done something incredibly special. The first film, as you say, in English and in Spanish. Uh, the first film that he's made outside Thailand and in Colombia. I think there's, there's some similarities, at least in the political situation between Colombia mm -hmm. and Thailand, that while he's not, a, he's not one to very obviously deal with those, those issues, I think you you understand that they're very much at play in this film. So it's, it's not as, as uh, strange a move for him as I think some might feel. Yes. Uh, Tilda Swinton and Apichat Pong are, I think, friends for a long time and have always wanted to collaborate with each other and have found in, in their artistic connection, I think, through this film, uh, something really magnificent and 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 special and uh, i can't wait for people to see it mm. I, I can't wait to see it in the cinema because i i saw it at home of course but i really want to see see it in in the cinema whereas maybe some of his recent films let's say with cemetery of splendor was very much about light i think yes light had a very strong role in that film yeah and it's very it's simplistic in, in some ways to say it but i think memoria is very much preoccupied with sound and that's another very important reason, I think, to see it in yeah. a cinema. And there's some real surprises in, in this film. It's, it's like any Apichat Pong, where it's ethical film, it's very uh, difficult to explain any sort of plot or uh, even the basic premise. And that's but the beauty of it. That's the beauty of it. And that sort of says so much about what a film festival is, is about as well. When someone asks you about a film and you say, well, it's, I can't really explain it completely properly, but it affects you in ways. And because it's might be extremely difficult to, to explain, thereby its specialness and its wonder uh, is explained. And I think you've, you've nailed it with a picture pong. Not always easy to describe, but you just know when you're watching one of his films that a very special sensory experience is happening. Now, look, we could probably talk about a picture pong forever because he's wonderful, but also what, what else have we got in the program that the people should look out? Well, they should look out for everything, but one of the films that caught my eye was um, an Australian film, The Drover's Wife. It's the first film by Leah Purcell, I, which I haven't caught yet. I'm dying I'm dying to, to see that. Yeah, well, it's it's 
We're very happy to be able to present the film. We saw it uh, quite some time ago now and instantly invited it in the competition. And I think Leah's done such a tremendous job with her first film. It's material that she's worked with before. She's uh, adapted the classic uh, Henry Lawson short story, both in the form of a novel and a stage play, in which she also performed. But this is quite a different take. And it's a very powerful film, set a long time ago, but I think with real contemporary resonance. It's the old story from an indigenous female perspective that Leah you know, wrote and directed and also stars in the film, I think is uh, is real testament to her, her skill. And uh, this is a film that I think is going to set the state theatre alight. Fantastic. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And I think another film that might set the, uh, the state theatre alight is a very intriguing film from Romania called Bad Luck Banging or Loony Porn. Now, just on the title alone, I think a lot of people are going to buy a ticket. But there's something pretty pretty special and amazing about this film, isn't there? Well, I, I don't know about setting the State Theatre alight. That might set the State Theatre on fire. It's, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's an extraordinary film. I, I absolutely adore the film. I'm not sure how many others will. And... Some will be pretty shocked by the opening sequence of the film, which is a very long, very explicit, very awkward homemade sex tape. And it's the spread of the sex tape, which, which is actually of a, of a teacher who teaches at a very prestigious school. When that tape is disseminated, it creates a huge problem for her at the school. And parents, students, her, the administration are all horrified by this obscenity and by this vulgarity as they define it. So the director, Radu Jude, takes us on this journey through the society and, and shows us all these terrible things that are happening elsewhere. There's racism and misogyny and horrible things, horrible things. And poses a question in the end is, what is actually obscene? What is really vulgar? this awkward, stupid sex tape or a society that perpetuates uh, racism and misogyny and, and injustice. And uh, it's fantastic. It's very funny. It's incredibly wild. Uh, it goes all sorts of strange places. And for those who, who stick the course, I think they'll be incredibly rewarded. <laughs> Yeah, but that's why we're here at a film festival because there's all sorts of provocations to see, and that's and that's part of what the the forum of a film festival is. Also, in, in the program, Nishin, I noticed that Christian Petzold, the German director whose films I've really loved over the years, he made Barbara, uh, he made Phoenix, uh, which I saw at the film festival a few years ago. Another terrific film called Transit uh, is back with a film called Udini or Udine? Uh, Undine. Yeah, Undine. this is one of the first films I invited for the competition last year, and uh, I'm happy that it's it's still there in the competition. And it's it's Petzold again making a film about what we think is a doomed romance, perhaps. And he uses the myth of an ancient myth of a, of a water nymph who comes to us seeking love, and if she's ever betrayed by her lover. She must kill him and return to the water. Yeah. So Undine, played by Paula Beer, uh, her boyfriend breaks up with her and she says, well, unfortunately, that means I'm going to have to kill you. And he says, well, I'm still breaking up with you. So 
Luckily, yes. <laughs> Undine meets someone else. She yep. meets someone else in this explosive, uh, beautiful, you know, in a Hollywood film, you'd call it a meat cute. But this is something <laughs> something quite different. So perhaps she doesn't have to kill her former lover after all. Perhaps she doesn't need to return to the water. Perhaps she can still find love and defy her destiny. And uh, that's the story of Dean, which I think is it's it's beautiful. It's a beautiful film. Lovely. He's such a wonderful filmmaker. Um, just your description there reminded me of his, his other films, which are about appearances that can be deceiving and what lies beneath. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Now, if I wanted to go and see a comedy, if I wanted something to make me laugh and put a smile on my face in the official competition, have you got something for me? Well, it depends very much on your, your sense of humour. I I find uh, bad luck banging or loony porn hilarious, but I don't know if others who see it would <laughs> would feel the same way. Uh, in fact, I I doubt it. <laughs> I, I, I doubt that everyone. Uh, yeah. So for me, Limbo is an incredibly funny film, but it has some tragedy in it as well. It, it's not often that you'd come across a film about refugees that you would say refugees stranded somewhere, and, and think, well, that's that's very funny, but Limbo is very funny. Wow. Um, though there are tragic moments in it, yep. it's, uh, I'd say, very much like a Aki Karazmaki film or uh, an Elia Suleiman film. And it's about a bunch of refugees from, from different parts in the world who are, who are stuck on this really, I'd call it a godforsaken Scottish island that's <laughs> bitterly cold, has very, very few people on it. But also, there's, there's also a sense of, of community there, and and all these these people are in in limbo. They're waiting to have their asylum status confirmed, and hopefully not rejected. And are in this in this village uh, each day, just waiting for the post to see if if they they'll make it and manage to stay. And it's a kind of village where you know these youngsters driving by could accuse uh, one of these refugees of potentially being a race a rapist or terrorist. And then because it starts raining, offer them a lift back into town because they don't want them to, <laughs> to get wet. It's a very strange, strange, strange experience for for these people. But what, what the film does, aside from being very, very funny, it also really takes us into these lives in a way that you don't often see. And I think it's it's a it's a striking film. And yeah. Uh, the closest thing to a comedy in the official competition. There are comedies elsewhere in the festival, but in the official competition, <laughs> there, are, say, there are. Yeah, <laughs> there are lots. But um, noted, noted on on that one. Now, look, I'm a big animation buff too, and I've and, and I was really taken by still I saw on the on the festival page, which is a film called Flea because it's an animation, and I looked a bit more closely, and it's uh, a combination of animation and archive which is a strange combination. Can you tell me a little bit more about the film Flea? And it's a documentary as well. So it's a combination of animation, archive, and it's a documentary. And and again, fascinating story. The director of the film met a young man when they were in high school who, who was a refugee from Afghanistan. And they became friends. And now they're, I guess, in their perhaps late 30s or 40s. And the friend finally revealed to the director a, a great secret about his past. It was known that, of course, that he was, he was a refugee, but there were things not, never revealed. And he decided that the only way he could really be free was to actually reveal the secret. But at the same time, he doesn't want to, to uh, divulge his identity. So 
they came upon a way in which through animation, he'd be able to tell his story, but have his identity still protected. And it's a tremendous story. It's a tremendous story. Of course, it's related to Afghanistan. And I think it's far more relevant today than it was just a few months ago. And it was very relevant then. And uh, I think it really puts into focus what a great deal of people in the world have to go through just to find someplace safe, just some semblance of safety, which we largely take for granted that we have here in Australia. But I think the, the film really puts it into into focus. Yeah, animation is one of those uh, filmmaking forms that I think has taken on, continues to take on new and exciting lives as as cinema evolves. And it's I'm really looking forward to seeing it in the, in the context as you described there. Now, as you were discussing the film Flea I, I was thinking also of the film from Mohammad Rasulov, the Iranian film, There Is No Evil, which sounds, uh, from the very little I know about it, a film that was made under duress, to say the least. It's a film made under difficult circumstances. Could you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, it's it's the new film by Mohammad Rasulov, of course. Uh, there Is No Evil won the Golden Bear in Berlin in 2020. Uh, bad luck banging. Well, Looney Pond won the Golden Bear in Berlin in 2021. So it's nice to have two Golden Bears uh, winners in, in, the, in the festival in one year. That's un- very unusual. And, and you're quite right. There Is No Evil was made under, under very difficult circumstances. It's a film that explores the impact of the death penalty in Iran on the different people involved in that, whether it's the executioner or soldiers involved in, in executions, the families of those uh, who who are executed, and how he made it. Because there's a bit of a loophole, feature films are very much scrutinized, and Mohammad Rasulov has been banned from filmmaking in Iran. But short films are not that scrutinized. So he made the film as four short films. So that's how he managed to make it. So there, there are four stories that are, are quite distinct, but of course very much connected, all exploring this theme of, of the impact of the death penalty in Iran. And Rasulov, I think, is is an extraordinary filmmaker and an extraordinary person. I've been a fan of his films for a very, very long time. And even in his early films, like uh, Iron Island or The White Meadows, he, he was pretty brave, but there was often a great deal of symbolism involved in the films. I mean, I remember once I did a Q&A with him at a festival and... The White Meadows, I, I think, if I remember correctly, in the end, uh, and, and I hope this isn't a spoiler for, for anyone, stop listening if you want to avoid a spoiler on, on Mohammed Raslov's film. But the, there are tears being collected throughout the film. And at the very end, it's discovered that the purpose of the collection of those tears is to wash the feet of a very old man who appears to be in charge of that society uh which is which is said it's it's you know it's almost a, a fantastical place it's uh, uh so it's, it's it's it doesn't look like you know it's not like it's said in in contemporary society but the tears of the people collected to wash the feet of an aging tyrant uh and i asked him in the q and i said well what are you trying to say with that i mean is that <laughs> which is an obvious question and he said no no i'm i'm not I'm not trying to say anything about necessarily what's happening today. It's uh, this is the film world that I've created or something to that effect. (laughs) 
but since he's been banned, since he's faced all these troubles, I think he's really become even more courageous, more direct. I think with films like Manuscripts Don't Burn or uh, A Man of Integrity and Suddenly There Is No, no Evil, He's not pulling any punches, and uh, and it's it's very risky for him. And my admiration for him and respect for him, which was there from his earliest films, has only increased with time. And as he makes more and more cinema, I think he's uh, someone I revere. And he's yet another fascinating Iranian filmmaker. It's such a such an amazing national cinema, and we've seen so many films, beautiful films, that have been made under the conditions that you just described, four short films, other films that have been made ostensibly as children's films that in fact serve as very powerful critiques of contemporary Iranian society, and yet they, they always manage to be screened somewhere, somehow, because there, uh, there is so much wonderful cinema being made from a country where notionally... It's heavily censored and filmmakers are banned. These things do happen. And yet, somehow or other, their films do manage to find their way out. And that's just another element on top of films such as There Is No Evil. Uh, it's very... There's a great documentary in that at some point for someone. But uh, sure. <laughs> we'll continue, yes. at the moment, we'll just continue to enjoy the Iranian films that we get to see. There are so, you know, yeah. so many. And, and I should say that this year is quite an extraordinary year for Iranian cinema in the festival because not only do we have the new film by Mohammad Rasulov, but we have a new film by Jaffa Panahi in the Compendium film, The Year of the Everlasting Storm. We, of course, have the retrospective of the great Abbas Kiarostami, eight feature films, and a few of his very early shorts. And, and I can add my I... voice to that because I've seen I've seen about half those films, and I'm ashamed to say I haven't seen all of Kiarostami's films, and I'm going to be there for the ones I haven't seen because, yes, a, a true cinema master. Exactly. Um, and, if, and if people listening haven't aren't familiar with Abbas Kiarostami, this is truly a moment to discover a filmmaker. Many people are called geniuses. Some of them deserve it, and Kiarostami is one of them. So I'm so excited about that retrospective of his work, the great, great filmmaker. And someone newer, uh, I should point out, is uh, the film Hit the Road by Pana Panahi, who's the son of Jaffa Panahi. And uh, it's his first film. I, I remember meeting him as a young man when I, on the one and only time I went to Iran. And uh, he's made this tremendous first film. It's, it's really just magnificent. I think in some ways, reflecting on, on the cinema that comes before him from his father, from from Kiarostami. It's a film largely set in a car. It's it's on a on a road trip, but it's it's raucous and funny and subversive and just something special. So it's great to have these masters of Iranian cinema, but also this new voice that that's yes inspired by his uh, his father to an extent, but also the other greats of Iranian cinema. But he's really doing something fresh and new and vibrant. And he's one to watch, for sure. We also have the Asghar Fahadi film, uh, A Hero, which won uh, a major prize in Cannes. And uh, he's, of course, uh, a filmmaker quite familiar to Sydney Film Festival audiences. A Separation won the Sydney Film Prize in 2011. So it's great to have a film of his back at the festival. And I think uh, audiences are going to go quite crazy for this film. It's, uh, again, one of his, I'd say, masterpieces about morality and it's how questionable that can be at times 
Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait for that and much more. There must be more canned venison Berlin prize winners packed into this festival than I think ever in history. It's quite extraordinary. Yeah, I think I think that that is the case. I think that's the case. Fantastic. Well, look, my festival program is already way overpacked and way overstuffed. I'll um, <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to see everything I want to see, but I will. I will, as we <laughs> as we always <laughs> manage to somehow. It's going to be so exciting to. You know, dash from place to place and 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 catch as much as as humanly possible in between the third and the fourteenth of November. And look, I know you probably get asked this a few times, but I mean, how on earth do you survive this whole thing when it's when it's actually on? Is it just pure motorized adrenaline and instinct? What do you have any secret secret weapons that you use to get yourself through? Uh, I I followed the advice that was given to me a long time ago. As much as I can, I, I wouldn't say I follow it every night, but the advice that was given to me was try to get at least five hours sleep <laughs> every you know every night of the festival. Try to get five hours sleep, and I begin every day promising myself that that's what I'm going to do. And if you do that, I'm sure you'll you'll get through. And I'm going to take that advice as well because it can. It can get to the point where five hours looks like a luxury, but we do actually need to keep our strength up. And I think audiences might feel the same way as well, because if you're really trying to to see as much as you possibly can, it is um, quite something to do. But it's exciting as well. It's tremendously exciting. I love meeting people in the lobby um, who are you know, on their third or fourth or fifth film th- for the day and just so excited about doing that. It beats the heck out of watching, you know, three or four or five films in a row on on a streamer because you've got people to talk about exactly and, and meet and, and cross paths with. So yes, look, it will be a bit scaled back this year in terms of those things, and for all the right reasons. But it's tremendously exciting that we're going to be sitting in dark rooms again and enjoying films and being able to talk to people, real people, afterwards. It's been great talking to you, Nishin. Thanks for the lowdown in the film festival. I'll let you go now, and I'll be looking forward to seeing you in the lobby in November. Richard, it's always such a great pleasure to speak to you. Thank you for assembling a fantastic Freak Me Out program again this year and for for working with us. It's a a great pleasure for us each year. And uh, I can't wait to see you at the festival and, and in the cinema after a very long time. It's a date. In our next episode, journalist Sandy George sits down with Jenny Neighbour to get the names of the documentaries we must see in this year's festival program. You've been listening to Keeping It Real with Sydney Film Festival. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about any of our films or buy tickets, head to sff.org.au and I'll see you at the movies.